everyone, and welcome to episode 176 of Fun with Cars F1 podcast for coverage of the Chinese Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And our third man on the broadcast team, Jamie Price, has a nice update from us uh, from the airport in China. Actually, I don't know if he's at the airport, but somewhere in China uh, from just after the race. Um, but since we didn't hear from him from Malaysia, um, he talks about that a little bit as well. So we're going to go right into that and take it away, Jamie. Good afternoon, Fun With Cars. It's Jamie Price reporting from Shanghai, China. It is about 5.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. Um, We've just wrapped up the Chinese Grand Prix. Um, But I wanted to call and give you some of my thoughts on the last two races. Um, And I guess I'll start with Malaysia. Wow, what what a race. What an exciting um, performance from Ferrari. It's so good to see them back up top. You know, say what you want about the team and the drivers. I know there's a lot of people that don't like... Uh, Seb and Kimi but and Ferrari in general but you know I think the sport has very much needed somebody else to be winning for once and even Lewis um, himself said that it was good to see Ferrari back able to challenge for you know points not just points but a win too and legitimately as well Um, I think that was the biggest thing that I took out of that is that it was good for the sport to see somebody win and just so much emotion from Seb when when he won, when he got out of the car, you could just tell that this was something that he had dreamed about his whole life. And to be able to do it was was something really special for him. And it was one of those races. There's there's probably a couple races in my career as a photographer that I can say, yeah, comma, I was there. And you know, it's just the first one being when Mark Marquez won his first race at Circuit of the Americas in 2013. Um, I was there, and I'm proud to have pictures of that, and that's something that I'll be able to tell my motorsport fan grandchildren um, that I was there when Mark Marquez, who's now dominating the sport, won his first race as a MotoGP rider. Um, it would be similar to when Ayrton Senna won his first F1 race or Michael Schumacher won his F1, first F1 race. Um, you know, I'm going to throw that, that Sebastian Vettel Ferrari win in that category that I was there for it and I'm really honored that I was um, that people had asked me to cover this race and um, and what a joy it was to see so much emotion back on the podium that's something that is sometimes lacking in F1 I think Lewis Hamilton is a um, real offender of this today is a perfect example he just is so used to winning or just doesn't care anymore about winning but you know you just look back to the days of him jumping around and pumping fists and high-fiving and grabbing teammates and basically jumping on his um, mechanics and and friends and um, you know his dad when he when he won races for McLaren in the early days of Mercedes there was just so much emotion to it and when he won today in China you just didn't feel the love I don't Maybe I'm wrong, but when I was on the ground shooting him getting out of the car, I just didn't feel the love. Um, but, you know, Malaysia, it was great to see Seb with literally tears in his eyes on the podium and in the press conference. You could just see how much it meant to him. And as a photographer, that's the stuff we dream about is you know proper, proper drama and, and racing action. Um, if, if Ferrari start winning consistently we may have a championship on our hands but based on the performance of Mercedes in in Shanghai today I wouldn't say that's in the very near future maybe half season we'll see Ferrari be able to properly put the developments on the car that can you know make it a contender but from from the very start and I was down at turn one for Shanghai here um, it just seemed like Mercedes had the upper hand by a, a large margin and Every time Vettel kind of closed in on Rosberg, Rosberg would turn up the engine just a little bit more and keep the keep the pace exactly where it was. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't ex- an exciting race. But um, China's China's a good place to come to, even though I think that it it doesn't have the same atmosphere as, as Monza or Suzuka or or Great Britain. Um, you can even Circuit of the Americas. It you know it's. There are fans here. They're very passionate fans here. The ones that do show up for it are very passionate. Um, and and it's an important race to come to. 
the other thing that I noticed from today was that, um, and I'm not sure if this was talked about on the TV, but the entire one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight grandstands, which surround um, the entrance of turn one, turn two, and kind of looking at turn three, were completely empty. And I was here last year, and they were completely full. And I, again, I don't know if this was talked about, but evidently um, the structure was not safe for spectators that earlier in the year, um, you know, four or five people had died. And, and I don't, again, I don't know if this is talked about, but it was something that I heard through the grapevine of the press photographers that I was standing next to because we were all kind of wondering what was going on. Um, but again, I'm glad to be uh, heading home after a, a really long couple weeks. Um, I love my job, but it is certainly a job some days. And today was one of those days where it's just not too much happened on track. And we used the first two days, Friday and Saturday, to get the pretty pictures, the ones that everybody goes ooh and ah over. Um, but Sunday is kind of for race action and, and the real kind of boring editorial stuff. But one thing I did notice, um, and anybody that follows me on, on Facebook and Twitter will have seen, hopefully, the sparking cars. It was really, really good to see cars sparking like I hadn't seen in a long, long time. Um, it wasn't quite 1985 or, or quite that much, but it was certainly a lot of sparks coming off the back of the cars as they came down the front straightaway and hit that compression into turn one because it does go downhill a little bit and then it goes, you know, not steeply uphill, but it does go uphill and the titanium skid plates on the cars, they would bottom out and in some cases, especially on the Ferrari, the Red Bull, the Toro Rosso and the Williams would send just a shower of sparks, you know, 10, 10 15 feet high and 20 feet behind them. Um, it was, as a photographer, like, it was really exciting. I was standing next to FOM cameraman Alex Chiari, um, and you may not know his name, but I'm certain you have seen his images coming off the back of his video camera in the season reviews and the race reviews. Um, he's a very talented cameraman, and he was sitting there uh, shooting the sparks at 600 frames a second. So we'll have some awesome slow-mo footage, hopefully, in the upcoming days to, to watch. But... As a photographer, it was just awesome to see that again and to have just a little, a little bit of action and color and, and drama to shoot on the cars instead of just a car going around a corner, which is what we've had for the last you know, couple seasons. Um, passing or no passing, there was a lot of sparking going on, so it was fun to shoot that. I really enjoyed it. Um, I guess I'll touch on the race in Malaysia a little bit as well as Shanghai, but uh, for anybody that's ever been to Southeast Asia knows that it is hot. It is really, really hot. And I don't have any other way to describe it other than it was like working on the surface of the sun. Uh, during the race, the track temperature got up to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you're standing on the tarmac anywhere near it, you're basically cooking. The ambient temperature was about 95. The quote, feels like temperature was 105 and, um, you know, that's just the air temperature that the thermometer is reading. If you stuck it down where I'm working on the, on the ground next to the track and on the pavement that's next, that surrounds the track, um, it was probably up into the 120s. I was standing there pouring water over my head the whole race. Um, I had, I brought four water bottles out with me and drank two of them and poured two over my head. And that was just in a two and a half hour you know, outdoor um, work environment. So it, it is really punishing to, to work in those kind of conditions. But, you know, again, I, I love it and I enjoyed it and it was great color. It was great to see Seb win. It was great to see Ferrari back on top and the emotion from the team. Um, and I guess with that, I'll, I'll just kind of leave it there. I think Formula One's in a good place. Uh, I'm really looking forward to what happens when the the cars go back to Europe this, um, I guess in May, early May for Spain. Um, there's going to be a lot of developments on the car, on all the cars, and hopefully we'll see the Force India be able to challenge a few of the other teams. Um, I work closely with them, and it's, it's been frustrating to see how frustrated they are. 
uh, especially Hulkenberg after he uh, retired today. I, you know, it's it's just not a great place for the team right now. But they're doing fairly well considering they only had one day of testing um, before the season began in in Melbourne. But I'm I'm looking forward to the European part of the championship. That's always exciting. You go back to some classic tracks that have just great great atmosphere, tons of fans. Um, it's just, I think Malaysia and China, though they are important races to, to have on the calendar, they just lack that, that something extra that Monza, Suzuka, Spain, um, a lot of those good places have. So with that, I'll leave you. Um, Rob and Jim, I hope all is well. Robin, it was great to see you in South Carolina the other day. We had a lot of fun. And... Uh, I will talk to you from Monaco, which is where I'll be next. Oh, of course. It was great to see you too, Jamie. It's always fun when our uh, day jobs collide uh, as well. Um, but the point you made about European tracks, I mean, we couldn't agree more. Yeah, really. And we're not the only ones um, because actually we got an email from Matthew John. No, sorry, John Matthew. Uh, from Toronto, Ontario. Um, but anyway, an article in TSN with uh, quoting Jackie Stewart, who has bemoaned the downfall of the German Grand Prix and urging the bosses not to forsake tradition for money as the number of European races on the calendar dwindles. And it's basically what we talked about in the last uh, podcast as well, where it's a shame, like it, it's exciting to see, you know, Russia and Abu Dhabi and Qatar and, you know, to some I mean, Mexico's got some more history than, than some of these other ones, but, you know, crazy places that just have lots of money and are sort of doing it for tourism reasons that don't necessarily have great tracks and don't have any or very little uh, racing history. Um, that's all, it's all well and good to add to, uh, to the calendar. But if you, um, if you take away, if it's at the cost of classic tracks, um, then, you know, that's, that is really a loss as uh, Jackie Stewart says, you know, you have to respect the heritage and all that. So, um, you know, Germany being off the grid is uh, the first one that's bad, but if we lose, uh, if we lose Monza, you know, that would be super bad. Spa is just so classic. Um, and you know, you know, Silverstone obviously has been threatened a number of times, but, um, and the track has changed around there as well, but there's still so much racing history and so many of the teams based there in England that, uh, that would be another, uh, downfall. So thank you for the, uh, for sending us the email there. And, uh, we, uh, we basically couldn't agree more. Uh, so that's, uh, John from Toronto. Thanks for that. Yeah. And also I want to thank, uh, Tony D. Giuseppe. I probably suspect, I probably pronounced that a bit wrong. Um, but he left a comment on funwithcars.com. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on the S-duct that has been released that is on the new McLaren. So basically what that is is that's um, uh, a bit of piping and ducting in the nose of the McLaren's car. That is kind of an elegant solution, uh, you can say, to having the mandated very low noses. Uh, M- McLaren is basically trying to use this pipework to mitigate the um, the problems that arises from such a low nose so that the airflow from underneath the car still flows more the way they like it. And uh, so for me personally, I think it's clever. Um, it's completely drowned out by um, the power units that they're dealing with right now. But the more McLaren keeps working on their aerodynamics and coming up with clever solutions in a way because they have to, once Honda gets up to speed, the McLaren's only going to be that much stronger. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's great to see that Honda and, well, really, McLaren, um, I'm sure both of them are pushing as hard as they can, but that uh, the team is is still just trying to move forward and trying to innovate. And uh, really, you know, we, we all hope to see that uh, maybe for the Spanish Grand Prix, um, you know, when they're back in Europe and doing some more development and all that, that uh, the power unit will start to come together. And uh, they did mention during the broadcast uh, today as well that, you know, the, the both drivers really do like the car and they think it's really got good drivability and so on. So once the power gets there, then hopefully the whole thing will come together. So um, if anything, I guess our take on it is just that the uh, it's really good to see that innovation and these guys are pushing every angle they can and some things are going to be out of their control. Uh, but, you know, anything that they can do, they're, uh, they're definitely still working on and that's always good to see. Um, and, you know, especially like right now, I mean, having two of, you know, some of the best drivers in Formula One, I mean, Alonzo and Button that have just not been anywhere near in contention for the top of the, uh, top of the qualifying or, or in the race. Um, but, uh, to see them languishing along in the back is, is a little bit sad, but it's cool that they're sort of mature enough and have both, you know, won you know, I guess three championships between them that, um, they can sort of have a relaxed attitude about it. Uh, and, and they seem like they're sort of, sort of cool, cool about it. So, um, you know, we're all looking forward to better results from that team. Yeah, better results. And I think, you know, we can say uh, better results are coming. You know, 
it depends on your ter- definition of better, but that car is da- is getting faster, and it's not going to be too long before they start moving up in the results. As my bold prediction. That is a bold prediction indeed, because it could be a while before they start moving up in the results. Also, we had uh, an email actually back from March from just after the Australian Grand Prix from Paul Peer, but somehow uh, we were confused and missed that for the Malaysia show. So here we are um, to talk about that. So first he says, you know, it's nice to be back. And this, of course, we're uh, referring to the off season, uh, but now we yes. are, we're way, way behind on that. Um, to which, of course, we agree. And he said, okay, race weekend, but great podcast. So we appreciate that. Um, and of course, since then, we had a great race weekend at Malaysia and maybe an okay podcast. But either way, um, so his first point <laughs> is um, on, regarding Manor. Um, so he said, Sky reported that Bernie had clarified a couple of things about this whole missed three races. Um, and that was per contract length, not per year. So because Marusha already missed three, uh, basically Manor couldn't afford to miss being in Australia, even if they knew from the day, from day one that their cars weren't going to start or something. So it's a, uh, back to that uh, kind of back and forth about um, what does it mean to be at the race if the cars don't ever start on the weekend? Or does that count? Or was it a special dispensation? Um, either way, I mean, the good news since Australia and since Malaysia as well is that both uh, Manor Marusha's qualified within 107% in China and both cars finished the race, um, which is... Comfortably within 107%. Right. I mean, it was like, I think second and a half or something it was it was it was fine off those dog slow mclaren hondas yeah and uh <laughs> but you know the the fact that you know for a while there it was really kind of touch and go like are these guys even going to be able to race if they don't get their cars started and then they had one car going whatever so it's like i'm you know so this is following up you know separate from policy email for a second but just like super excited to see that manor um is is that's a huge step forward from zero testing from not even really existing as a team while the other teams were testing to Okay, they made it to Australia. That's one step. And then they get one car going. And then, you know, it just barely didn't make 107%. So that now this is, hey, they're both qualifying. They both finished the race. Um, and yeah, they were two laps down by the end of it. But still, that's a huge step forward. So anyway, we're still super excited about the Manor story and hoping that that will continue to build. And uh, if any other team were able to progress at that rate, um, you know, they would be well ahead of Mercedes in no time. So, um, you know, just we keep, uh, keep you know, rooting for the underdogs here. And uh, it's, it's uh, exciting to, uh, to see that happen. Uh, the second point in Paul's email, um, if if I may, is um, the uh, the teams I think are getting a little bit clever about the fuel pressure readings, and you, of course remember this from last year with Daniel Ricciardo in the Australian Grand Prix, um, where there's a fuel pressure limit, and uh, apparently now the FIA mandated sensor is a little bit upstream of where the fuel actually goes into the engine so there's some talk and uh you know this is a a little bit hearsay at this point but uh that you could almost sort of maintain consistent fuel pressure through that fia sensor so that their sensor is always saying oh yep yep no no extra fuel is going through this is all fine but sort of store a little bit extra and then when you really need it most to really push the engine hard um, then you could you could sort of use some of your stored reserve or whatever so the fia is trying to clamp down on that to try to make sure that no you know you call it monkey business, call it getting clever within the rules, you know, or whatever, but uh, that uh, they're trying to get a little bit more technical with multiple ECU readings. You got to call it being clever. You can't call it, it rules. The rules by the FAA are meant to be hard to work around, and the teams are meant to look at them and say, okay, what's the even more clever way to work around these? Exactly. And uh, so it's, it, you know, it, it, interesting to see that they're clamping down on that. Um, and I don't think that's really affected on track uh, performance. And so this was, of course, back from the Australian Grand Prix. And the rules were to be, or those new sensors and stuff were to be in place by this weekend here in China. Um, and we, you know, haven't really heard much else about it. So apparently it hasn't uh, really caused any big upsets or, uh, or, or shifts in that. We definitely want to thank all the people that participated um, on Facebook and left comments for us on the last podcast. We appreciate that and uh, encourage everyone to continue to do so, be part of the conversation. Right. And uh, also we had some activity. Uh, you know, this was a 3 a.m. race start for me on uh, on Eastern time. Uh, so I was not able to watch live and uh, tweet along with folks. Um, thank you again, Bernard A., for uh, keeping hashtag FWCars alive. And uh, we had a couple of other folks uh, taking part in there over the weekend uh, with uh, Martin and some Robin Warner guy and uh, some others. So anyway. Um, Hell yeah, that's me. Yeah, buddy. I know that guy. <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, that's right. I, I I learned I learned the ways of the kids. I'm on what they they called the Twitter. Yep. Oh, I and, do the tweets and, on uh, the Twitter. And Craig the Kilt tweeting along is there as well. So uh, sorry I couldn't take part with you guys. But actually next week in Bahrain it's uh, later uh, late you know evening race there in Bahrain and uh, uh, you know which actually makes it a reasonable mid morning kind of thing here. So maybe who knows in a week's time we'll uh, we'll see what's possible. Um, 
But anyway, um, to take part in uh, follow-up on your own, uh, you can always visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on the episodes directly. You can email feedback at funwithcars.com. And uh, also, of course, uh, from our website, you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter and uh, everything else that we do. So uh, that's always fun to do. But moving on, uh, man, was this the race of the year or what? Uh, or what, I think is the best way to say that. Uh, you know, it. what I think this race was was the culmination of all the talk that's been going on about who's fast, um, where the teams fall. This seemed to most succinctly say, okay, Mercedes still clearly has the fastest car. Ferrari has the second fastest car. Williams has the third fastest car. And then from there, there is a real battle between Lotus and Sauber and Red Bull. And um, that is a fascinating uh, trifecta of teams to be kind of like scrapping for, what do you want to say, fourth in the championship, let's say. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it's interesting to say that because, of course, it's, um, you know, Lotus, just I have to have that in front of me right now, is, is eighth in the championship, having uh, only a few points, only six points so far. And they're behind Force India, behind Toro Rosso, behind Red Bull. And then, yeah, so it's like, you know, a lot of people after Vettel's win uh, two weeks ago in Malaysia, we're like, oh, man, Ferrari's on top. Everything is, you know, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be Vettel's walking away. And it's sort of like, well, maybe, probably not, though. And then, of course, even running into this weekend, the whole question was, can Ferrari be so much better on their tires and, you know, kind of do what they did again last time? Uh, the answer is no. Um, right. Well, it became a short stint versus longer, you know, race run stint uh, question. And, you know, this, I, this goes back to what I was saying. It's like a big part of the Malaysian loss for Mercedes was that gamble with bringing in, bringing in the cars early during the yellow flag. Right. And, you know, it was cool to see Vettel. I mean, he was so emotional and so happy and all the Ferrari fans and the Ferrari team and all that to see them win, you know, meant so much more to them than a, a Hamilton win would have meant. Rosberg would have been happy with a win. Now I'm sure he'd be, you know, as the season goes on, he'll be even more and more desperate to get a win. We'll talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, that's all another conversation. And yeah, and that's exactly what Jamie Price was saying as well is he was there and it was all very real, all that emotion and excitement that really everyone felt fans through uh, the Ferrari drivers themselves. And I think um, even Hamilton can honestly say it was kind of, you know, exciting to see Vettel win because he knows he probably, you know, you don't know for sure the future, but he knows, okay, we still have a great car. Overall, we're probably going to have better pace. And that is exactly what happened in China. You know, they just, um, I don't think Vettel was ever really under threat um, I mean, the only thing he was he was worrying about was his own tire wear, and so trying to go slowly, um, and then for a while, Rosberg was saying too slowly. That was the sort of post-race drama uh, a little bit, was saying that uh, uh, you know, Hamilton was intentionally overslowing, but that's been all cleared up now, apparently, by the team. But uh, Hamilton just was really in control of this race. Rosberg was right behind him, and it seems like any time Rosberg started to get close, Hamilton could just pull away if he wanted to. Um, and then the Ferraris were behind there. Of course, uh, Kimi starting a little bit farther back, but uh, you know, ending up uh, you know sometimes right up there in the mix, and uh, actually sort of challenging at the end. Yeah, Kimi started in sixth. Yeah, and that was a shame. That the fact, and you could speak to this uh, better than I can, but there was a safety car at the very end, so um, it seemed like what that hurt the most was Kimi's chances of threatening Vettel, but. I just, just in general, I mean, we can already see from qualifying and races results in these first three races. Kimi Raikkonen is still a little bit playing second fiddle to um, Ferrari teammate this time, Sebastian Vettel. But you can see he's much closer than he was last year, and I firmly believe that this is not because Alonso is that much better of a driver, but it's that. Vettel's driving style and Kimi's driving style are much more closely aligned so Ferrari can develop the car uh, more uh, more uh, unified for both their drivers. Where And I'll go out and say, I think Alonso's driving style and what he asks for from the car tends to be a little bit, a little bit different than what you would think is common, and that hurts other people. Um, and it's, so it's, you're not seeing that. I mean, look at that. You know, Kimi finished fourth right behind Vettel, and uh, he qualified sixth as opposed to Vettel qualifying third. You know, not these 10-position gaps, but two- or three-position gaps. There's going to be races, uh, Spa especially, where Kimi is very strong, I think. Uh, going into the to this weekend after qualifying, I guess, as well, um, you know, Kimi sort of 
it's, I don't know if it's kind of a joke or whatever. Sort of, he's, he said he has a habit going right now of bad qualifying. It's like for one reason or another, it was a mistake. It was traffic. It was whatever. But he's like, I need to break this habit, you know, not really assigning blame to anyone but himself for sort of being like, you know, for whatever reason, things haven't gone together in qualifying. But in in spite of that, he's been able to do amazing things. So it's sort of like if only he could get, you know, in, into the top, you know, top four for qualifying, uh, then to see uh, to not have to deal with all the traffic and the nonsense at the beginning, but to be able to just, uh, you know, rock it away from that kind of position and have a have a good fight with Vettel, perhaps Rosberg, maybe even Hamilton. Um, and let alone the Williams uh, cars, then that that would be a really good place to be. So I'm, I hope that the development for Ferrari works well. That those guys are driving style, you know, kind of car compatible, and uh, and can do that because um, you know that's it's kind of this battle we always want to see is just you know more good drivers in top cars doing battle is uh, is always good for us. Um, but it was interesting on on this race um, having, of course, you know, it's, it's Mercedes Mercedes with Lewis ahead, of course, Ferrari Ferrari, Vettel ahead of Raikkonen. Then Williams, Williams, and they were pretty far back from the Ferraris, even though they have Mercedes power. Um, and then actually, uh, you know, Grosjean in the Lotus, um, uh, which is good for him to get some points for the first time since last year. Um, but it's you know, have Mercedes, have, have Williams taken a step back now compared to the other guys? I mean, it seems pretty clear that they have. Well, real quick, I, I want to take a quick step back and one more thing about Kimi. Um, Kimi's great. He's dreamy, and um, he's also. If you go to funwithcars.com slash F1 teams, um, Kimi Raikkonen is also, uh, you'll see in our stats, the oldest active F1 driver on the calendar now, which I found fascinating. I wasn't even thinking of it, but Kimi. There's an F1 driver calendar? Ooh, sexy. F1 driver statistics in F1 teams. If you go to funwithcars slash F1 teams, that's where it is. And Kimi Raikkonen, first of all, is the oldest active driver, which is kind of amazing to think about. Second, he's older than I am. So you can be my age and still be an F1 driver, and I like that. <laughs> There's hope for you yet. There is. There is. And uh, I respect that. Yeah, he, he was born in October of 1979. I was born in December of 1979. So we are cutting it a little close. Um, but uh, And another fascinating thing real quick um, since we're on that, uh, of course, Max Verstappen is the youngest driver. He's... He was born in 1997, so if you invert 79, 18 years, uh, that just kind of blows my mind. Right. Well, how old is Button? I thought Button was... Uh, is Button he... was born January of 1980. Oh, man. So, so Button's about a all, younger than me. All yeah. right there together. But yeah. uh, wow, see, He's a child of the 80s, which is not nearly as cool as being a child of the 70s. Jim, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure that that really bears out to be true, but hey, whatever. No, it it does. I checked. It does. Okay, good. Yeah, then the seventies are a great decade for all kinds of things. <laughs> yes, thank you, Will, Williams. Though, um, if I may, uh, so there seems to be you know uh, this the teammate battle, especially in qualifying, where you know things are coming really close, uh, and you're between the two cars, um, but between you know Felipe and Valtteri, um, just uh, you know there's it seems to be a little bit more animosity between them a little bit it's not quite the friendly rivalry of like oh this is fun but um you know just uh, seems to be a little bit more tension at that team um but overall in the race it just seems like they're not quite holding up to their uh, even to their own single lap pace let alone to uh the four cars in front of them do you think that's uh something to look at there to me what i see is that people were used to the trends of last year and just kind of expecting williams to be the closest to mercedes and ferrari got farther along than they thought but if you look at it closely, Williams was third in the Constructors' Championship at the end of 2014. They're solidly third right now. Clear, excuse me, clearly ahead. There's no real threat from any teams behind them. So Williams has an opportunity to develop faster than Ferrari. And how much of the um, problem is between the two Williams drivers having tension grow? I, to me, I'd say that's pretty minimal. You know, um, they qualified fourth and fifth. Um, for the Chinese Grand Prix. So that's consistent with, okay, they're not quite up to speed with the top Ferrari, but they are right there. And their long-term pace, uh, their you know longer run pace might be a little bit lacking. But to me, I'd say that's car development and their pace more than anything else. So uh, Martini, maybe you throw in a little bit more money, make this thing happen and uh, keep Claire Williams happy. I mean, really, that's the main goal. Let's keep Claire Williams as happy as we can. She's awesome. Yeah, because uh, it's interesting. I mean, we saw this, of course, with uh, the bad old days between Vettel and Weber as teammates. 
Um, but when the car's performance are sort of in these steps like they are right now, where it's like Mercedes at the top, Ferrari pretty closely behind them, and then Williams behind them, it's you know going to be fairly likely that the two cars are running together on track. And you know maybe they have different strategies and different things happen. But um, I feel like in this point, rather than um, you know more so than many others, it's really crucial that your teammates um, have a good uh, a good relationship such that you know. This is the kind of thing where you can ask someone, oh, you know, Valtteri needs to get around you, Felipe, and he can be like, no, I don't want to be second driver, I don't want to whatever, which is, you know, could basically slow both of them down and maybe allow, uh, uh, you know, Daniel Ricciardo on a good day to get through, or uh, or who knows what, like, you know, Marcus Erickson, who knows, you know, these Saubers. So it's like the way that the cars are lined up right now, um, and in terms of performance, and, and likely, like you say, qualifying together, and likely going to, you know, find themselves next to each other on racetracks at, uh, several times. Um, that's where I think uh, we do have to keep an eye on uh, making sure that those guys are sort of both both feel uh, you know feel happy and, and uh, content with that they're you know getting the most out of the team and the car and that they're getting the support that they need uh, because that it's if you do start to have a position where uh, you know one guy resents the other one or thinks he's getting all the chances or whatever and you know doesn't follow you know if the team has some sensible um, plans for tire strategies and just making the most of whatever they're going to do uh, that uh, if if the one guy you know won't get out of the way or, or makes it harder of course the worst thing being that they crash into each other and and take them both out that uh that could be uh you know basically the worst possible thing for williams so uh we'll see if this uh, becomes an issue over the course of the season or not i'm saying you know eh, let's keep an eye on that because that could be a factor and you're saying don't bother i think you're right to say keep an eye on it i i think it's i at this point i will say maybe it's gone a little bit past a healthy tension but uh it's not a huge thing concerned about however since you bring up teammate relationship I think that's as good of a time as any to jump into uh, the Mercedes teammates and uh, particularly how one Nico Rosberg seems to be handling his situation at Mercedes, which I'm going to go ahead and say incredibly poorly. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it, it's weird because it's not, doesn't seem, I mean, outwardly is not saying like, I hate Hamilton and he's a dick and whatever he's, it's a lot of this has been like reflective on himself which is good in a way to not just blame everyone else when there's problems. Of course, sometimes the personality and Lewis, of course, has done this in the past where, oh, the car was bad or there was traffic or the team sucks or the tires or whatever, you know, rather than what we've heard a lot of from Nico has been like, oh, I didn't do this. And yeah, my qualifying is bad. I made a mistake here. That's been true for a while, but not that's just it. It's 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 turning a corner to a more negative place. You know, in the post-race press conference, Nico pretty much directly blamed in the press conference directly blamed Lewis Hamilton for Sebastian Vettel being able to threaten second place. He said, you deliberately went slowly, caused my race, and you were not thinking of the team, you were just thinking of yourself, and you were going, that made it harder for me. And Lewis, and in my opinion, very rightly said, I was worried about my own race, doing what was best for me. If you thought I was going too slow, pass me. Right, and I guess that's I didn't watch the uh, or didn't see the conference, so you must have read that. But uh, yeah, that's because I saw all these articles talking about that. Um, Rosberg accuses Hamilton of hampering his race and all that, and uh, and that's where you know the the Total Wolf and the you know Mercedes team has come out to say, um, you know, that basically what Lewis said is right. It's like I I had to think about my own tires, and we were trying to do a longer stint than we had done all weekend, and uh, you know that like. I, like you say, if if I'm holding you up, then get around me, dude. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, I can't say that, uh, you know, I disagree with Lewis's position. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see how, how negative now Rosberg is becoming because it's, it, it's, it's, it's like, it started out as kind of this, like, Hey, I'm a really good driver. I just made a mistake. So that's why I was slow. It's not like, Oh, I gave it my all and I just couldn't do it. Then it kind of became, right. I gave it my all and I just couldn't do it. And now it's a little bit, it's like, like you say, turn this corner to now it's like, I gave it my all, I couldn't do it. And this freaking guy over here, you know, then he's slowing down he's causing problems. Like, um, you know, so they say that, the, you know, Autosport says the, the tension has now cooled, which is, is funny when these you get these statements like that. It's like, oh, of course, everybody's fine now. Sure. right. They said that, you know, they said that after the spa incident as well. It cooled, but it definitely was never the same. So what I'm going to do, this is from the press conference. I'm going to read it to you directly. Um, question. Nico, can you talk us through your view of the race today? Started second, finished second, but you sounded at times as though you felt a timed a, a time, I think that's supposed to be a tad under a little bit of unnecessary pressure, maybe? Nico Rosberg, no. It's just now interesting to hear from you, Lewis, that you were thinking about yourself with the pace in front and necessarily that was compromising my race. Driving slower, what, driving slower was maybe necessary at the beginning of stints meant that Sebastian was very close to me and that opened up the opportunity for Sebastian to try that early pit stop and 
to try and jump me. And then I had to cover him. So first of all, it was unnecessarily close with Sebastian as a result. And also it cost me a lot of race time as a result because I had to cover him. And then my tires died at the end of the race because my stint was just so much longer. I'm unhappy. So I'm unhappy about that, of course, today. Other than that, not much to say. Other than that, not much to say. That's the craziest part for me. Lewis, would you like to respond? Not really. My job is not to, it's not my job to look after Nico's race. My job's to manage the car and bring the car home as healthy and as fast as possible. And that's what I did. I didn't do anything intentionally to slow any of the other cars up. I was just focusing on myself. If Nico wanted to get by me, he could have tried, but he didn't. That was that was verbatim. That was the conference. That was a press conference, not the podium interview, but the press conference afterwards. Yeah, the podium interview was a little bit weird. Um, did he did it say if, whether or not Lewis dropped the mic after that? Because it kind of seems like <laughs> if it wasn't attached to his ear, he might have. But it's like, what are you going to say to that? You know, it's uh, it, like Lewis says. It's like, oh, if, it's like, oh, you're so fast, you're holding me up. It's like, okay, so pass me. You know, and, right? Exactly. And you know, real quick, I'll just just first couple lines of the the opening question of the press conference. Lewis, many congratulations. Was the race as expected in terms of the challenge from Ferrari? And also, can you talk us through you, that radio message you got from the team about speeding up? Question mark. So the team asked Lewis to speed up at one point. Right. And then second question, were you aware that Nico was getting so backed up towards Sebastian Vettel? Question mark. So the question was leading, was fueling Nico's anger a little bit. Um, but Lewis's answer, first sentence. I wasn't controlling his race. I was controlling my own race, but great race. I'm really happy. Definitely going into the race, we thought it would be a lot closer, and we knew that Ferrari was very, very good with their long-run pace and also looking after their tires. So today, the real goal was to manage the tires, and then he goes on. But the point I'm getting at is that every race, every press conference within the race weekends, Nico is getting more... Um, negative taking things more personally and building and building a conspiracy theory that it's everything against him do you know what i'm saying yeah it does it's, kind of feel that way it's incredibly unhealthy yeah incredibly unhealthy and kind of shocking when you see how those two raced each other and kind of kept the drama going even though it was so such clear mercedes dominance in 2014 the tension was there thanks to Nico and Lewis scrapping it back and forth. This time, the tension of the championship is still there because Nico is just getting just ridiculous with his interviews. Everyone else is talking about the team and the performance of what the season was like. And Nico was like, this was unfair because and just talks about himself. Lewis took away all my toys and he wouldn't give them back. Yeah. I'm waiting for, but mom, I'm, I'm just waiting for it. It can't be that far away. <laughs> Which is funny because we, you know, a lot of people used to give Lewis crap for being, you know, immature about that and blaming other people and whatever. And now he seems like, oh yeah, he's being professional. I mean, it's easier to be happy when, of course, when you're on top of it. But, um, you know, Lewis was not always in the lead of the championship last year, um, as we remember, and uh, still, you know, managed to, to do, do fairly well. I don't think he ever took that personal jab, those personal, those direct jabs at Nico like that. I mean, I don't think it was that severe when Nico hit him in Spa. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So right now, as it stands, Lewis has 68 points on for the lead of the championship, of course. Uh, Vettel with 55 behind him. So Nico, Nico is third in the championship with 51 points. And then it's a pretty big jump back with 30 points to Massa and then Raikkonen, Botas, and, and on down from there. But, um, you know, just the fact that Rosberg isn't, isn't even second, you know, that he's got a, a four-point deficit to Vettel, um, let alone then uh, all the way, you know, jump up to, uh, to Hamilton, um, you know, just race by race, of course, that's, uh, that, that's something that he's got to be concerned about. And I think uh, from last year, the first really great inter-team battle that we saw um, was in Bahrain. That was like, okay, Mercedes is going to let him race because we saw from the first couple of rounds, um, you know, Lewis, of course, had the big failure in Australia, uh, the, or the, I guess, you know, whimper out of a failure, the spark plug insulator wire or whatever. So he wasn't there at the end of it in Australia. Um, I don't really recall what happened in uh, China last year, but um, but Bahrain um, was the like, okay, the the two top cars, two top drivers, the team's going to let him race. And we had a really, really good fight and some really close moves and, uh, you know, some some chaos and whatever. So this year, though, you know, they know how the Mercedes is stacking up uh, like we did last year. But now seeing this additional tension from Nico and this like extra sort of, you know, 
I don't know, it's like through clenched teeth kind of uh, kind of approach for Nico. Um, so to see uh, how Bahrain goes down and, uh, you know, how the team treats that as well, let alone is uh, Raikkonen in that in that battle as well? Is Vettel in that battle as well? Um, so that, uh, you know, hopefully it could be, uh, could be a more exciting race because as you say at the beginning, uh, you know, China, uh, this was not, um, you know, was not setting the world on fire in terms of exciting races. And, uh, you know, that uh, is, you know, just if it weren't for some of the other politics and the technology and stuff going on in the background, this is this is a sort of one to forget. Yeah, it, it, it's very what this was is a, a statistically valuable race event that shows us a, the clearest picture we've seen of where the different teams stack up against each other and uh, what we can look forward to as the season progresses. Um, I'm still optimistic that Williams can develop themselves into potential race winning uh, scrappiness here. And I'm still thinking and, they'll crash into each other, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, But then there's going to be like the second tier and the second tier is going to be Sauber leading Red Bull, Toro Rosso, and, um, and uh, Force India. Oh, and Renault. Uh, so the second tier, that mid, that's, that, like I mentioned earlier, that battle for fourth and championship right now still has a lot of wide open possibilities. Because as you said, Lotus is actually at the bottom of that scrap. But they also, um, in terms of car pace, they've been regular uh, attenders of Q3. And they've dealt with a lot more luck than they have uh, issues than they have with straight performance issues. And to that end, this is very important for me to point out because it's with Maldonado and Jensen's button. Maldonado was yet in another accident. Jensen button admitted to blame. They were racing each other. Jensen button made a mistake. Jensen button admitted to it. Jensen button got two demerit points as a result. It's your boy, man. What's going on? He's getting old. It's my boy, but I, I'm just. I. It's just so nice to be able to see Maldonado racing, scrapping, and Maldonado coming out not the penalized one. So <laughs> right. I'm just really happy for that. I mean, you know, and even the incident itself, uh, yeah, you know, ended up okay. Button admitted responsibility, but it was one of those tricky kind of like. You know, are you going to make this pass? Am I going to go on the inside? Am I going to go on the outside? Where are you going to go? Where exactly are you going to hit the brakes? And it all kind of came together quickly. So if that had come out as a racing incident, um, it would have been like, yeah, okay, you know, Button was clearly behind, and so it's his job to, to not crash into it. But it was, you know, just a, a little bit weird. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess the decision-making, when you've got a, an old brain like uh, like Jensen Buttons, I mean, he, okay, to be clear, he's not quite Kimi Raikkonen or quite, not quite Robin Warner old, but, you know, Button is getting, <laughs> he's getting up there in his years. So, uh, you know, it's for him to be able to make these split-second decisions, it's, it's getting tougher. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that license for, uh, for your boy there. Yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, we're going to have to do that. No, but, I'm, I'm uh, just giving you crap. It's like, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, hopefully once once they're not so desperate at the back of the field, uh, we shouldn't see some some of these crazy moves uh, and and some of these things. But uh, you know, it's it's got to be tough, you know, for for Alonso and Button. Um, in a way, it's good that they're they're you know somewhat equals in terms of you know they're both really well regarded drivers so i don't think anyone's looking at the mclaren honda going man that car's great but these guys just certainly can't drive it it's well like- and thus far you know button has been i would say overall outperforming alonso that that's my stake i mean he did way better in australia <laughs> yes i think even uh, seriously uh, that button has been outperforming alonso which as a as a j butt fan is probably good to see uh, especially seeing how well uh, and Alonso was regarded, but um, yeah, it's another unfortunate day for Lotus because they were looking at potentially a double points finish. Uh, finish, and of course the uh, so fourth in the championship is Sauber with 19 points, um, and all the way down to Lotus uh, in eighth with six points. That's the kind of thing where one decent result um, can can swing that very big. I mean, you know, a, a fourth place, a third place, even you know, a, a podium would be pretty uh, pretty big ask. You'd have probably have some several other problems up the grid, but, you know, something like that, you know, a couple of, or, you know, two cars in sixth and seventh, things like that. Like this is where big swings can happen where, you know, Mercedes probably will continue to march on forward and Ferrari behind them and Williams behind them is pretty likely to, uh, to keep moving up. But um, yeah, you know, a, a good result for the Lotus cars, a good result for Force India, like Jamie was talking about earlier on. Uh, those are the kind of things that can really move things around in this uh, fourth place uh uh, tier, if you will. Although I could also see Sauber kind of escaping that and being a solid fourth place and leaving Red Bull, STR, Force India, and Lotus to, uh, and maybe sort of McLaren to some extent, fighting for fifth uh, because Sauber has just continued to do really solid performances. Think about what you just said. 
think about where Sauber was last year to this year. It's been awesome to watch. Um, I'm a huge fan of Felipe Nasser. He's properly quick. He's like the next Brazilian phenom, I think. And uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. Is there anything wrong with Carlos Sainz Jr.? Well, he does drive for STR. Maybe you're thinking of Marcus Erickson. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Uh, But there's nothing wrong with him either. Mark, Marcus, Marcus Erickson, uh, I should real quick, as a, the two rookies that I'm looking at the most are yeah. Carlos Sainz Jr. and Felipe Nasser. Because Verstappen is just like old hat at this point. It's like, oh, he's oh, 17, God. oh, I mean, great, whatever. Yeah, when is he going to retire is the question. <laughs> uh, but no, Marcus Erickson uh, doing quite well and uh, Felipe Nasser really standing out. But Sauber consistently getting points, consistently being there. Um, but – as a nice juxtaposition position, let's talk STR versus Red Bull. Hugely fascinating to me. Yeah, as, as you were looking that up, I, uh, Max Verstappen was born in 1997. He is almost a product of the 2000s. I mean, you know, a couple more years, of course, when we get to sort of 2018, 2019. Did you 2019. go to funwithcars.com slash F1 I actually didn't. Right that, that was in my uh, my quick Google search bar. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, this was – I was actually surprised to see that uh, Red Bull has one more point than STR. I was thinking, based on performance-wise, that STR would have been ahead. But uh, I guess, like I just said a moment ago, you know, these, any one little result can uh, can change these uh, these orderings. Well, I mean, Max Verstappen was the cause of the safety car at the end of the race today. Yeah, and it, he was at the time what eighth position, and that was a painful failure too. I don't know if you got uh, were able to watch onboard video from that, but uh, it was he's driving along, he's going, you know, whatever full throttle probably was because he's on the front straight. And uh, and just like just terrible gnashing of mechanical parts kind of sounds and actually kind of stopped and started and stopped and started. And then the whole thing just just died and then actually, you know, locked up their rear wheels as he came to a stop. It was like it just kind of hurt mechanically for like, oh, man, there's so many precision parts <laughs> going in there. And whether it was engine or gearbox or whatever the exact failure was, uh, whatever it was, was spectacular. And uh to, to end in such a way was, uh, man, it was kind of heartbreaking for those guys. And, uh, and even still Verstappen, you know, t- still handled it, you know, maturely and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, I would be very surprised if after sort of three or four more races, um, if, if, I don't know, I mean, Red Bull, again, you know, they're threatening to quit again now, you know, Dietrich Mateschitz and all that sort of saying, oh, well, if we don't have a competitive power, you know, power unit, we're going to go away. And, and Renault, I don't know, going back and forth saying, well, the STR is actually doing okay. But after a well, after, exactly, which after is a what I like say. this, though, that, you know, Max, is, Max isn't going to be happy with his Renault. Yeah, look, fair enough. But I look, the STR is doing reasonably well. And it's an STR. If you look at budgeting and everything else, the junior team is outperforming the senior team. And the senior team has what, you know, almost everyone agrees, um, the awesome Australian, right? And they've also got uh, the Russian phenom, who at one point was considered young. And they're just doing okay. So I think it's really petty of Red Bull to put all the blame on the Renault power unit because clearly that's not the only problem. And then in addition to that, I can't help but look at this and say, oh, okay, so you win four Constructors' Championships in a row, then you have one bad year, and all of a sudden you're talking about threatening to quit? To me, that just seems so short-sighted and, and again, petty. I, just, I, I, I don't look at that and think to myself, wow, those are stand-up decisions, and I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, and I guess one way to look at it is is you know the team and the funding and you know so not so much Christian Horner who's grown up around racing and all that, but you know the team uh, owner with uh, Dietrich from Red Bull and all that, you know they are if really just a marketing company, uh, you know Red Bull, um, and and just kind of marketing their brand and their lifestyle and how that fits in with energy drinks and so on. So um, I you know in in sort of. Uh, you know, a, a Red Bull that isn't winning isn't a Red Bull. That almost makes more sense than a, than saying a Ferrari that doesn't win isn't a Ferrari because, like, a marketing department that doesn't have anything to write about in terms of marketing or is being shown up, um, that's less valuable to, to Red Bull uh, than, you know, Ferrari still makes cool cars and does all this great stuff. And, yeah, who cares if it's, you know, if it's having a good year or a bad year. But then how do you answer, uh, you know, they had, what, five, yeah, five, six years before they were really super competitive in the first place. Well, because then, then just doing, you know, donuts on top of the hotels in Dubai and, you know, all this kind of craziness was still, like, exciting marketing and all that. Now that they've sort of shown they can be right at the top, it's like, you know, maybe the, the Red Bull F1 marketing machine has almost run its course anyway. So that even if they were, you know, if they're not dominating, um, if they're even if they're in there for occasional wins and stuff like that, which seems still on the table with, with Ricardo and the car and, you know, it could come together. 
um, maybe for them it's like, well, the you know the marketing behind it just doesn't quite uh, line up to that. And of course, with Red Bull, uh, out of all these other companies, you know, it's like Ferrari can look at where they're spending money and what makes sense to them for their history and for their customers and the brand they want to pursue. And it's like, what are they going to do? They can be in Formula One, obviously, and they're sort of, you know, always been lauded as crucial to Formula One. They could go and do a Le Mans effort and so on. And there's, you know, that would be cool, but there's not that many other things where it's like Red Bull is in everything already. They're in all kinds of forms of motorsport. I mean, they're huge in rally and endurance and let alone NASCAR, right? Yeah. NASCAR, let alone all other kind of action sports and motorcycles and bicycles and mountain biking and surfing and everything else. So it's like, okay, 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 okay. It's but, a whole other thing. Fine. But last year we had the rebirth of the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull ring, not the Hungaro ring. So they were just making deeper and deeper and deeper commitments to Formula One. And now that they're having a second, this is the first year where they don't seem to have a race winning car in a while. And now they're talking about quitting. I'm sorry. That's I just, I, that is not long-term thinking. And if you truly want to be in the sport of F1, a couple bad seasons went slow you down. I mean, look at what McLaren's going through. Right. Well, I guess my point is maybe they don't care so much about being in the sport of F1. But, you know, they're thinking long-term Red Bull, well, not necessarily they, long-term F1 team. You're totally right about that. But I'm just saying that makes them liars. And because uh, they were talking very, very, oh, we're in F1 for the long term. They're just buying more and more and more. Well, I just said they're a marketing company. Of course involved. they're liars. <laughs> 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 oh, Jim, I love how what you think of business and business students, especially. Um, yeah, it's it, what I love about it more than anything, though, is seeing how STR is developing as a team. And I'm really fascinated to continue to watch the Red Bull v. STR saga develop. Right. I, I think no matter what happens, it's going to be interesting. And of course, we have heard uh, a little bit of talk and uh, about you know Renault wanting to get back into a title sponsorship role. And then if you look at well, what's what's the you know best performing Renault team? Arguably, that's STR, and that's also a small team that would be I, I happy. I think that's the winning argument, right? That would be happy to be bought out and become a factory team and so on. I mean, that's that that's almost the more interesting story to look at in a way um, is to say, okay, you know how that would tie up with Red Bull or not or compete or whatever is is a an open question but to be able to uh that could be a, become a factory renault team um and then if if you know red bull keeps complaining and maybe they do leave and then and then we've got an str becomes just a factory renault team uh and uh and then you know goes on from there and they can supply other engines or who knows what but um you know if it's it's almost like renault could almost just sort of call red bull's bluff a little bit and say okay red bull you really want to leave okay see you bye um and then they're out of the sport and then who knows what right and if red bull really wanted to blame i think Part of it has to be that Renault is a is a is a convenient scapegoat because if Red Bull really wanted to put all the blame on Renault power plants, they could push really hard and they could have done this over the last year. They could have switched to Ferrari or Mercedes um, power units. That that could be done. Don't tell me that there wasn't enough money possible to throw around to make that happen. I mean, if Lotus could afford to do it, then certainly Red Bull should be able to, right? Right, exactly. I mean, and getting back to your point about marketing, um, you know, Nissan and Renault are actually they're co-owned companies. Uh, I think technically the way it works, and I have to, I'm guessing, I'm I'm not exactly certain, but Renault actually owns Nissan. Um, Nissan, of course, has Infinity as its uh, premium brand infinity sponsors the red bull there's a lot of marketing ties between renault and red bull above and beyond power units right um so i get that it's more complicated than that but you know it's kind of you know which approach do you take do you complain about it or do you make lemonades out of the lemons you've been given do you know what i mean it's just it's what and what would be the red bull marketing approach that you'd want to take you know i think Red Bull has an opportunity to turn something that let's say they have a bad power unit. It's like, okay, get creative with it, both in the actual race team and within the marketing of your team. How do you promote this and turn this into an opportunity and turn this into a, 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 a talking point? Yeah, and you know, part of what's been cool about Red Bull has been some of their off-track stuff, like when the U.S. Uh, sorry, Grand Prix of the Americas was uh, was a potentially going to be a thing uh, in in New Jersey. 
um, you know, they did some demo laps and Red Bull's one of the companies that has the money as sort of a, you know, marketing and production company and whatever. And they make all these cool videos and that kind of thing where they did, you know, shut down a bunch of, a bunch of streets and tunnels and all that and had these really cool videos of the F1 cars blasting around New York City and all that. Like, that's cool stuff. And, it, and whether that, you know, even if you're not, you know, winning on the racetrack or dominating on the track or whatever, still being able to kind of keep your brand out there and make, you know, videos and, and media and stuff that people are excited about and share them. And then, you know, I'm sure that some people that had maybe never seen Formula One cars before saw that and were like, what the hell is this? This is cool. You know, this car blasting around in the city and it's a publicity thing. It was potentially, it would have been probably good for the race if the race had ever happened. I'll, you know, now we'll never know. Um, but can't be bad for Red Bull. And it's not about just necessarily like, okay, let's just compete and win uh, on, on equal, you know, equal rules and equal footing and all that. Um, but just kind of like, hey, let's just go do something really cool. Um, there is, I think, still a place for that in the current media landscape. And uh, and if anything, that's, you know, one of the big uh, uh, criticisms of like Ken Block and these videos he's made. They're really, really successful videos. And, um, you know, all kind of, you know, car enthusiast people, but also just normal people on the internet uh, are aware of these Jim Conna videos where he's just, you know, driving around and sliding around. And it's a combination of good production quality and good driving and well well set up stunts and all that um, but when Ken Block goes into actual sanctioned races and rallies he doesn't do terribly well so instead of you know complaining all the time about how racing is really hard he's just like I'm you know he really seems to be genuinely having fun doing what he's doing he's done you know this just various tie-ups with with Ford now and you know um, and car launches and all this kind of stuff but it's sort of like there's still a fun story to tell and he's still expand, you know expanding his own brand and all that uh, it's funny that he happens to be tied up with Monster Energy Drink you know a sort of arch rival of, of Red Bull although it seems like a lot smaller company um, but uh, it's like you know there's there's other ways you can sort of tell these fun stories and all that and sort of still keep your thing going um, even if you're not doing well on track, but ultimately, if they are thinking long-term for Formula One, they would want to do well on track and want to, uh, you know, get to the bottom of whatever whatever issues there are and uh, and get those going. Totally agree with you. Totally agree. Um, so to um, uh, McLaren, I just I want to make the point that I really think that they're going to be. You're you're more pessimistic than I am, and I, that's the point I want to make. I really think by the time we get to the end of the European cycle. So I, here's, here's my claim and people be prepared to judge me on this in a couple of months. Um, I think that the Monza McLaren is going to be competitive and might surprise us. Okay. Can we put, so you say competitive. Um, yes. What does that mean? Uh, one of the McLarens will get into Q3. Wow. And one of the McLarens will be top eight. Okay. So we'll file this away uh, under a, a section called Claim Chowder. Because if it comes back <laughs> and it's completely wrong, we're going to make a Claim Chowder out of that. You know, some Clam Chowder does sound quite good. Um, yeah, is man. that a Chinese thing? Can we make it one? Chinese Clam Chowder? I, I Yes. Probably it is. Yes. They're big on seafood and stuff. And uh, well. See, now I'm hungry. It's, this is bad. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it is time for us to move on and uh, discuss predictions. Yes, we shall. So this is, of course, on Facebook.com slash FWCars. If you click on predictions, you can see uh, all the results and stuff, everything that's gone on so far. And, of course, make your own predictions. So for the Chinese Grand Prix, um, we have a lot of folks who predicted correctly because we had a Hamilton Hamilton, which is not an entirely unexpected result. So it looks yes, like 61, in fact, 61 people. folks um, all thought that uh, Hamilton would be on pole and would win the race. And they were all correct and thus scored zero points. Um, one one individual, Will Carver, um, predicted button for pole and button for the win, netting 29 points, which I'm not which, sure. Let's is... hold on. Let's give him an honorary. That's that's an, that's a strong prediction. I emotionally feel you man right well, i'm here for you will fair enough um and then one step up from that hugh mcdonough with the masa botas position uh prediction uh for eighth eight points um which eight points if that's if that's the second to the bottom guy then uh you know we're we're doing pretty well here with uh, a lot of folks are doing well with predictions uh but in terms of the overall uh tally we have a 25-way tie for first place. So I don't need to read everyone's names, but uh, I think a lot of you folks out there know who you are that are uh, taking part in this. 
I am in uh, with two points. I'm in 26th place because I have I have two points. Everyone else has one point. Handily ahead of uh, Sir Damien. Right. No one predicted has predicted for zero points. So everybody, there's a lot of folks with one point. Uh, but yeah, Damien has four points. So it's a really tight race here. And uh, just just like the the mid pack of the uh, constructors championship, uh, you know, one bad race result here can really skew things up because I could go from um, from being pretty high up there. I could you know with one one. Uh, what you know, spark plug insulator failure away. I could you know could immediately drop way down the list um, because uh, yeah, even some of these folks in uh, 117th place and so on don't even have quite that many points. Yeah, and uh, I am I am down in 76th place with 20 points. Um, my uh, Australian uh, prediction of uh, Botas to win the race did not serve me well, and uh, Moss on oh, pole yeah, wasn't that's bad, right. but wasn't oh, great. I yeah. forgot about the Botas for the win and the back <laughs> thing and the oh. Man, yeah, yes, that... exactly. But since then, I've been doing all right and feel reasonable. And I also, uh, we should give a mention to, I forget uh, which listener that was, but wanted to the non-Facebook, I'm set one prediction for the year. That's Rosberg on pole, Hamilton to win. That would have netted one point today. So still proving to be reasonably strong. Although as the season progresses, the Rosberg on pole bit might start to feel like a bad choice. Right. Well, as the season progresses, my whole Rosberg for the championship things already feels kind of dumb. Well, I mean, to be clear, though, we are only three races <laughs> in, and there are 19 races total. So, uh, you yeah, know. Rosberg still has a chance to get way worse. <laughs> yes. And, of course, Button and Alonso will be, you know, in championship leads by the end, of course. And the of Williams course. will never run into each other. Um, okay, so <laughs> the question is not necessarily who are you going to do, you know, who are you going to predict for pole and win, but it's like, are you going ham ham or are you going somewhere else? Is kind of the uh, the, the overall question now. Um, Easter was last weekend. Mm-hmm. We had ham. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. Yep. I still have very fond memories of that. I see no reason to change. Yeah. Ham is delicious. Yeah, and and but I mean, not even just okay. Clearly, performance. He's still on top. But also, emotionally, he's still clearly on top. And I still think that Ferrari's pace compared to Mercedes is being a touch overblown. I'm still looking forward to Williams catching Ferrari, potentially not Ferrari catching Mercedes as much. All right. I am going to mix it up a bit because we had a a sea of Hamilton, as it were, with you and me and the heuristic prediction model all thinking that Hamilton would sweep everything and I just, I just don't, don't feel like uh, that's the way to do it. So I am saying that one Nico X Rosberg, I don't know what his middle name is, probably doesn't start with X, Nico Rosberg. <laughs> Nico Xavier Rosberg. That sound, that's, that's got a nice ring to it. That's um, plausible. No, well, I, I think, you know, crazy things can happen. And if something crazy does happen to Hamilton and I have picked Rosberg, that like it's a, I, a would come out, you know, uh, way ahead because lots of other folks like if, if there's some stupid problem with a tire or who knows you know anything can happen and uh if everyone has all their eggs in the ham basket which again sounds delicious uh then uh you know i don't want to get caught up by that and i feel like if rossberg okay maybe i gained one more point which would probably move me back to like 81st place but if 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 hamilton wins but if hamilton doesn't win man you know could be could be interesting so um i'm just sort of i'm i'm playing the odds a little bit here and uh, I don't think, you know, I think it's easy to, to write off Rosberg, um, but, uh, you know, he's, he was, he's right there in second place, and it doesn't take a whole lot to, uh, uh, you know, to, to multi-21 that whole thing and uh, end up in first. So either way. Um, yeah, but we know which direction multi-21 goes. But all that said, I respect your decision and uh, hope for the best. Uh, now that you've made that decision, I will add that uh, the Bahrain track, I think has a lot more similar similarities to China than it doesn't. And that I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect uh, Nico to all of a sudden have a performance advantage there that he may not have had um, in China. Well, how much of a uh, performance advantage is it if he, you know, unplugs some wires from Hamilton's steering wheel? (laughs) Uh, Doesn't have much to do with the track at all now, does it? How devious is this going to get? I'm telling you, That's he had to get clever question. to uh, to to win the championship, and that that may be just what it takes for him. All right. Anyway, um, we should wrap this up. And uh, I have all this talk of ham and eggs now. I'm uh, I, you know I gotta go uh, gotta go find some lunch. But uh, it's good to talk to you again. Um, you know, even though you're out of town and, and across and you, the country. Sir. Um, and uh, good to hear from Jamie Price from even farther away than uh, than you and I are. Um, but yeah, we'll be I'm back. glad you mentioned that. In fact, because I I just 
Good to hear from Jamie Price as always, and I loved hearing learning about uh, the cameraman he was talking about. That was so cool. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to 600 frame per second shots of sparks coming off the cars because you know that's just basically really cool. Right. Yes. So uh, we have another race in just a week's time from Bahrain, and we should have another podcast from uh, similarly just a week's time as well. So please stay tuned to the feed. Visit F1. Aha, yeah, nice. Funwithcars.com. Uh, that's so easy to do. Yep. In the meantime, funwithcars.com. And uh, fun, visit funwithcars.com slash F1 teams to make Robin happy and uh, tell him how amazing Please. the, uh, the write, write-up is on all the teams and drivers and test no. drivers and reserve drivers and all that. And to make yourself happy. Tell me honestly happy. if it's amazing and or not amazing. And uh, I will – that is a living document. I'm going to be adding more to it every week. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really love it because I'm proactively trying to learn more about all the nitty-gritty bits of the F1 teams this year and then, as I learn, share. So – that's kind of like the fundamental theory of it. But anyway, I interrupted. Go ahead, sir. Well, to uh, revel in Robin's uh, exciting nitty-gritty bit uh, details, um, then uh, <laughs> definitely visit that page. And uh, you should hear from us in about a week's time. Till then, I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner asking you to please uh, rate us on iTunes if you dig our podcast. And if you don't, to let us know uh, via email or give us a comment right on the show. We'd love to get constructive criticism as well. Please do visit funwithcars.com and comment on our show or go to our Facebook page and comment there. And, of course, Twitter and all the other live action little social media bits. We love it all. I'm Robin Warner. We'll talk to you in a week.